It's interesting that very song has been running through my mind all week as I've been preparing for a message on discipleship. Give me one magnificent obsession to follow hard after you as a disciple. And it is a delight to be with you this morning. Um, I've spoken many times from this platform as a missionary, but this morning I'm putting on another hat, and that is my hat as a Christian educator in the church. And I um, am honored to be able to speak to you um, one more time before I leave for Chicago. This church has had a very significant impact in my life down through the last 26 years as it began with a a simple three-month internship in 1979 when I was a student at Canadian Theological Seminary and has continued through the years. I've often thought of Pastor Sunder and Shamala, his wife, as my mentors in life. And I consulted with them as I agonized before the Lord about this next step in moving to Chicago in the new year. My message this morning is the second in a a small series that we are doing. Last week you heard Duncan Reed as he so clearly spoke about loving God with our minds. And this morning I want to turn your attention to what it means to be a learner. Now maybe that doesn't make sense to you because I've just said we're going to talk about discipleship. But it's a, a rather simplistic way of referring to discipleship because our word disciple comes from a Greek verb that actually means to learn. And so it's, it's very much a part of this series on thinking clearly. I want to begin this morning by asking you two questions that I used to often hear asked among believers in Eastern Europe back in those years when it was, uh, it took great courage to be a Christian. And these were questions that were often asked of congregations um, in Eastern Europe and in Russia. And as you know, I spent 12 years among the persecuted church in countries like Romania and Bulgaria. In those days, it did take great courage to be a Christian and especially to sit in a a congregation on a Sunday morning and hear questions such as these. I'm going to ask you the two questions, not to embarrass you. In fact, I'm not asking you this morning to raise your hand, which is what the pastor would have done often in Eastern Europe. But I don't want to embarrass anyone. I want you to answer these questions in the privacy of your own heart. And imagine what your response would be if you had to, in a hostile environment, raise your hand. Here's the first question that I want to ask you. How many of you can say in the humble confidence of your heart that you are a true disciple of Jesus? That's the first question. I see some of you wanting to put your hands up. The second question I want to ask you, how many of you can say in the humble confidence of your heart that you are a true Christian? Every time I ask those questions, no matter what the context, I find that there is great confusion among people as to how to respond. Many see themselves as Christians, but not everyone sees themselves as a true disciple of Christ. 
Maybe it would be easier if I left off that word true from the description. I asked those questions recently in the seminary in Chicago to which I'm going in the new year. And these were men and women who are preparing for ministry. And there was the same confusion there. Many seemed hesitant to raise their hand to actually um, commit to being a true disciple of Christ. They weren't uncertain about calling themselves Christians, but they weren't absolutely certain that they qualified to call themselves true disciples. As I thought about this sermon for this morning, I I realized, as I looked again at the bulletin, you might want to take it out and look at it, to realize that disciple-making is the defining explanation of why Rexdale Alliance Church exists. If you look at the front of the bulletin, you will see that this is the mission statement of Rexdale Alliance Church, to make disciples of many peoples who will follow Jesus Christ in authentic worship. I love the fact it's printed, it's in front of us every Sunday morning in life. As you process that statement, maybe your mind moves back to the recent series of sermons that Pastor Sunder preached on evangelism. And you may think to yourself, I thought our mandate was to share the gospel with those who've never heard, to tell others about Jesus. But I want you to look with me this morning at what Jesus stated was the mission of the church. Read with me. I want you to read out loud with me. The mission as Jesus gave it that day when he was ready to be taken up into heaven. His last words to his church were these. Read them with me. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am to the end of the age. Those were the last instructions from the Lord of the church. And we tend to pay very close attention to the last words of those we love. And his last words to us, his last command to us, was to make disciples. In fact, Within this last commission, the only command in that verse from our Lord is to make disciples. Now, maybe you immediately want to say, but what about the command to go? The school teacher in me can't resist giving you a little grammar lesson and point out to you that this word go, which we often take to be an imperative, is actually a a participle. Now, don't be... Frightened by that grammatical word? It's an ING word. Jesus was actually saying, since you are going, in other words, our going is assumed. His command to us is to make disciples. How do we do that? Since we are going, he says, make disciples. How do we do that? We do it by baptizing people. And that's what's so wonderful that a part of this morning's worship is going to be a baptism. And the other side, which I, as an educator, delight in, he says, and by teaching. So by baptizing and teaching, we are to make disciples of many peoples. 
If I, as a believer, am not intentionally making disciples, I am failing to obey the final command that our Lord gave to us. Disciple-making is the mission to which our church and the church universal is called. That's why when I came back to Toronto five years ago, I can't remember when this bulletin began to be used, but I thought to myself, someone in leadership really understands scripture because all that Rexdale exists for is summarized in the context of making disciples. Last week in his message, Duncan Reed called us to engage God with our minds. And he suggested to us that that engagement is a relationship. It happens within a relationship with God. And I want to take that concept one step further this morning and suggest that that relationship with God will grow more effectively if it happens within relationships in the body of Christ. Relationships of accountability. Our relationship with God is not primarily a solitary thing. Learning happens most effectively when it happens in a context of relationship. And the interesting thing is is that that relationship has as its goal that both parties or all the parties in that relationship are moving together towards maturity in Christ. Last Sunday, Duncan established so, so clearly the necessity of that vertical relationship. And this morning, I'm going to talk about learning within the horizontal relationship. I frequently ask believers and students in my classes, especially those in whom I don't see growth in maturity in Christ, I like to ask them, are you right now in an intentional relationship, an accountable, ongoing relationship with the express purpose of moving forward towards maturity in Christ? Because that is truly what discipleship is. This is how I define discipleship. It is an intentional relationship in which you are walking alongside someone else. It happens over time. It's a process. And it involves accountability. But it has as its express purpose the moving of both parties closer to maturity in Christ. You heard a wonderful prayer this morning written by one of the men in the small group that I've been a part of for many years. And I have seen how that group, with our accountability to one another, how we have moved forward. I feel that I have grown in my maturity in Christ because of that group. Some time ago, a a drug rehabilitation program ran a very interesting commercial that showed an elephant walking around a house. Now, the elephant represented the problem that society today has with drugs. And it was referred to as the elephant in the house. That elephant ambled past the son doing his homework. It peered over the shoulder of the wife who was doing the supper dishes. And it was though everyone in the house ignored the elephant walking around the house. But an elephant wandering around your house is pretty difficult to ignore. It's the largest thing in the house. The ad referred to this as the elephant in the house. I like to think about this more in terms of the elephant in the church. Not drugs, 
but non-discipleship, the failure of the church to make disciples in large numbers. The elephant in the church is, is our awareness as a body that there are many among us who fail to grow, who don't move forward in their maturity in Christ. As I travel from church to church, not just in this church, I see so many who, who come to the church, I could say, as, as customers, as clients, as consumers. And they never really get involved in the opportunities that the church offers them for growth and moving towards maturity. I applaud Rexdale Alliance Church for providing the education modules three, two or three times a year. You have an opportunity to learn in relationship. And they are happening tonight. They continue tonight. You're just one week late. If, and I understand you can still join up if you want to join one of those modules. I applaud Rexdale for providing a small group structure. Anyone who wants to be a part of a small group has that opportunity. And yet so many of us sit as, as consumers and say, well, that's for those who need it. But n- many people don't get involved in these opportunities. Those are just two of the outside-of-the-box opportunities that Rexdale provides. That These are opportunities for you as a participant where you can go, as Duncan said last week, you can go and, and begin that process of renewing your mind. And yet so many of us sit complacently and allow these opportunities to pass us by. We're all aware of the, the elephant in the church. We see so many around us who, although they're believers, are not moving forward in their walk with Christ and growing in maturity. Many of us are not intentionally involved in the disciple-making mission of our church. We have no one with whom we walk alongside and make them accountable. In my work, I often hear people laying the responsibility for the lack of growth in believers in the church. I hear them laying that responsibility at the door of the church. And I suppose we are implicated. But the question that I often ask people is this. I say, well, who is the church? And in truth, we must admit that it is all of us. It is every man, woman, and child who belongs to Christ. This is our corporate responsibility. This mission statement of the church is the responsibility of each one of us who calls this church our home. I love the fact that we are responding in this mission statement to a command that Jesus Christ gave. But what is even more important to me is that when Jesus gave us that command, he gave us a model. He showed us how to do it. You might ask me, how did Jesus do it? Let's think for a few moments about that, because this is the basis of all that I'm speaking about this morning. Jesus left us a wonderful example to follow. The legacy that Jesus left behind was the transformed lives of just a handful of ordinary people. Because the strategy that our Lord used was to address great crowds, but he called a few from those crowds and invested his life in them. And that, I believe, is the key to discipling many peoples. Jesus could have won thousands through his preaching, 
but he chose instead to invest his life in a handful. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Discipleship is not a program that the church provides. Yes, the education modules are a wonderful vehicle whereby you can learn in a context of relationship. But discipleship is not a program. It's a relationship. It's a learning relationship. It's a relationship of accountability to other believers. And you have to be with other believers to be accountable to them. It's a relationship that moves us all closer to maturity in Christ. I think about the early church and how they grabbed onto this, this model that Jesus Christ gave for us. When I think about the early church, I think about the words of the Apostle Paul as he spoke to young Timothy. He said, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust those to faithful, to reliable people who will be also be qualified to teach others also. How do you know that the Apostle Paul struggled with the same issues that Rexdale Alliance Church struggles with? He was concerned as is the leadership of Rexdale Alliance, that there not be many people in our church who acknowledge Christ but never grow in their maturity in Christ. And I can just hear him saying these words to young Timothy. He would say to him, the things you've heard me say in in big crowds, he speaks of saying them in the presence of many witnesses. And perhaps he's referring to the weekend sermons. As wonderful as the weekly preaching that we enjoy here at Rexdale Alliance Church, 45 minutes a week of preaching will not accomplish the mission of the church. You will not come to maturity in Christ by simply attending church Sunday morning. Paul was doing with Timothy exactly what Jesus had done with his disciples. Paul must have spoken to large groups, and he called out a few, and he invested in them. I often ask my classes, how many generations do you see in that verse? How many generations? The first generation, obviously it began with Paul. He said, you've heard me speaking. And Paul was speaking to the next generation. And so the first generation we see were his disciples, men like Timothy and Luke and Mark. He was speaking to the young Timothy. He said, the things you've heard me say, you must commit them to the next generation, to reliable people. And then he took it even a step further. He said, and those reliable people will teach others. Paul was speaking here of reproducing himself and of the need for every believer involved in the process to reproduce themselves. Reproduction is the, is the key to what we're talking about this morning. And I like to think of the fact that reproduction speaks of maturity. Paul was using the language of, of multiplication here. Most of us slip into a mentality, especially when we think about sharing our faith, we think in terms of addition. But I want to show you that the mission of the church about which we're talking this morning is essentially not talking about addition. Let me show you how it works. If I were to reach one person every day with the good news of Jesus Christ, and I were able to do that every day of the year, 
At the end of the year, I would have won to Christ 365 people. That's amazing. If I were able to do that for the span of my adult lifehood and do it perhaps for 32 years, at the end of 32 years, I would have won to Christ and perhaps brought into the church more than 11,000 people. That's staggering. But the interesting thing for me is that I know what happens in so many cases when people are one to Christ. Experience in the church tells me that many of those who are led to Christ are never accompanied down the path towards maturity in Christ. Let me sh- that's, that's addition. Let me show you how multiplication works. If I were to reach one person for Christ this year, just one person this year, but invested my life in them in such a way that they were able at the end of the year to do everything I had taught them, which obviously would include leading one more person to Christ. Next year, two of us would reach and train one more person, just one person in the year. In 32 years, how many people do you think would have been one to Christ? The figure is staggering. More than four billion. That's almost the population of our world. Do you begin to understand why Jesus Christ talked in terms of making disciples, calling a few from the crowd and investing his life in them? I want to share with you this morning a story that will demonstrate for you that this works and that what Jesus Christ was talking about is the key to establishing the church in maturity in Christ. Let me give you an example from my missionary career. Many of you remember back in 1983 when I left this church, sent from this church and from the Christian and Missionary Alliance to work among the women in Eastern Europe. In those days, Romania and Bulgaria and Czechoslovakia and other countries in Eastern Europe lived under a a militant communist regime. And that regime was determined to eradicate the church. And so the church had gone underground. In those days, it was illegal to train children who were under 21 years of age. And so the church was battered and threatened with extinction. After all, how can you survive when you can't train the next generation? And at that time, there were 23 million people in the country of Romania. And the church was basically invisible. However, there were a few courageous leaders who hadn't succumbed to the communist regime. And they had sent a message to the West saying, can you come and and train us? Train us how to disciple our nation for Christ. And so this church that was huddled in secret places, and as I tell this story, I'm thinking of many of the countries represented by those flags over on this side of our church Because there are many limited access nations today who continue under such a regime. The minority of the Christians were, were courageous enough to meet openly in sanctuaries, even though they knew that the secret police were probably sitting and watching them when they raised their hand to say, I'm a disciple of Christ. I'll never forget my first visit to Romania. I sat in that stuffy little secret room in a Baptist Church in the city of Bucharest. And around the table were ten pastors who were a part of the underground seminary that I worked with. 
God had burdened my heart in those days for the women of Romania. I wanted to train them. I, wanted, I, I saw them as potential disciples. But in that day and age, that was an unheard of thing because women had absolutely no value in the church society other than as prayer warriors and to be godly women. Many of the women in the church in those days were the simplest of peasant women, I could say. They had very little education. And if I had ever told any one of them that they would become a discipler of other women, they would have laughed at me. That day back in 1983, as I sat in that room with ten pastors, I presented my vision based on 2 Timothy 2.2. And when I finished that presentation to those ten men, I said, will you give me your wives, even just for one year, let me invest my life in them. To them, it was absolutely unthinkable. They were thinking about their wives. They were ordinary, untrained, simple women who, in the estimation of these men, had very little potential as disciple makers. And when I asked that question, there was a a pregnant silence. And then the leader of the evangelical movement in Romania, a very prestigious Baptist pastor who had suffered intensely for his faith. He leaned forward and he said, train women? You can't. They talk too much. (laughs) We all laughed. You laugh this morning when I say that. But that day I took them back to 2 Timothy 2.2. And I said, this verse is not just for leaders. It's for believers. It's for everyone who claims to follow Christ. And I told them that I would take the responsibility to teach their wives if they would allow their wives to become my first generation. And that day the men agreed. It was unheard of in in Romania. It was a huge step of faith that they took that day to adopt my crazy plan, (laughs) the crazy plan of the Apostle Paul and of the Lord of the Church. And a few months later I returned and I began meeting regularly with ten simple women and for 10 years I invested my life life in them and they studied hard we met under very difficult circumstances we met in secret far from the eyes of the secret police but every time we met I would remind them of the biblical plan of 2 Timothy 2.2 and I would unroll for them a big piece of brown paper I wish I had brought it this morning Um, because I still keep it as a souvenir. And I would draw, I would ask them to gather around me. I would draw a circle on that brown paper with my name at the center. And then I would draw spokes out from that center circle and put each of their ten names in the circle. I made no bones about it. I said, you are my first generation. You are are the ones in whom I will invest myself on one condition. And that is that you will do exactly with another group what I'm going to do with you, which is to teach you and love you and become accountable with you. And what does that mean? That means that the second, first generation will teach the second generation. I told them you must find reliable women to whom you can teach everything I teach you. And in God's time, I believe there will be 
other women, the third generation to whom you teach what you have learned. And in God's time, there will be a fourth generation and perhaps a fifth generation. I said, that's my condition. And from that little group of ten women began the disciple-making ministry in Romania. As I said, every time I would meet with them, I would draw that circle. And then I would put their names at the end of those spokes, ten names around the circle. And my question to them, every time we met, I would say to them, who is the second generation? In who, into whose life, life are you speaking now? You must find at least one disciple. After several years of teaching this paradigm to the women, I would tell them that if they hadn't found the second generation, if they were not taking seriously this condition, I had no interest in investing my life in them. Because I didn't want to invest my life in someone who wasn't serious about reproducing themselves. Because with increasing maturity comes increasing capacity to reproduce yourself. And I believe that refusal to do so is disobedience. Disobedience to the last command of our Lord. That might sound very severe to you, but it's a biblical principle. And the second generation of women began to grow. Jump ahead with me eight years, because in 1989, freedom came to Eastern Europe. You remember, the Berlin Wall came down. Those were days of great rejoicing as the church moved in a prepared manner into days of freedom. The church emerged from underground and became a a visible force with which to contend in Eastern Europe and Russia. And in 1992, we held our first public conference for women. This was the first time they'd ever experienced such a thing, to have the freedom to meet as a large group of Christian women. And I invited my first generation of women, and I told them that they could only come to this conference on one condition, and that was that they brought the second generation with them. I had never seen the whites of the eyes of the, white, of the second generation. I really didn't know if it existed, for sure. And some of them asked me, can we bring the third generation, too? And I'll never forget the day that that conference began. The trains and the buses arrived from all over Eastern Europe. And my women, who had become to me like my very own children, would step off that train And they would see me and they would cry out, Miriam, come and meet the second generation. And a few of them cried out and said to me, I have brought some of the third generation. And in one example, they said, I've brought the fourth generation already. This was after eight years. And that day, 400 women gathered in that city in Romania for the first time as Christian women united together. And I remember as I stood to address the crowd that night, I thought my heart would burst. I remember saying to the Lord, if I died tonight, it's been worth it. That was just over 13 years ago. And I stand before you this morning to say, folks, it works. The model that Jesus Christ gave us, the model that the Apostle Paul implemented in the early church works. Two years ago, my telephone rang 
here in Toronto. And when I picked it up, there was a little Romanian voice at the other end. And she said, Miriam, it's Lydia. I'm here in Toronto. I want to see you. I got together with Lydia that day. Lydia was one of those first-generation women 20 years ago. 20 years ago, she told me, I could never be a teacher. I could never invest my life in someone else. I'm not a teacher. But courageously, she had grabbed hold of a learning opportunity. And when I left in 1992 to come back to Canada, she became the director of that women's movement across Romania. And Lydia and I got together that night here in Toronto and had dinner together, and she told me an amazing thing. The Romanian church here in Toronto had called her to Toronto to teach them how to start discipleship ministry among women in Canada, in the Romanian churches. And we reflected together that missions had come full circle. One day, Rexdale Alliance Church sent me to Romania as a disciple-maker, And now the Romanian church had sent Lydia back to Canada as a disciple maker. And she told me that today in Romania there are more than 2,000 women leading discipleship groups across that great country. And the third generation has reached the fourth generation. And the fourth generation is now reaching the fifth generation. In June of this year, I had the incredible privilege of going back to Romania to meet with my first-generation women. They are still very ordinary, hesitant women. Women who, 20 years ago, had the courage to think outside the box, as Duncan shared last week. They took advantage of the learning opportunity that sat in front of them. They learned to think more clearly about the mission statement of our church. And they had committed their lives to Make disciples of many peoples who will follow Jesus Christ in authentic worship. For almost a week last June, I I met with more than 100 women. Some of them first generation. Most of them second, third, and fourth generation women. And they represented over 2,000 women who have been trained and sent out to establish another generation. Not trained by me trained by disciples of disciples of disciples. And they asked me to retell the story of how this church sends out missionaries and how they had sent me out in 1984. And we relived relived together the, the faithfulness of God during those difficult communist years. And then I heard their stories of how they in turn have become disciple makers to the nations. Let me tell you about the nations. Lydia told how that she had been called to Portugal to establish discipleship among Romanian women in Portugal. Another woman told how she had been invited to Russia, where she has taught. She said, everything that Miriam taught me, I taught through translation to the Russian women. Lydia told how she had been invited to Uzbekistan to teach Muslim background women how to be disciples of other women. I want to tell you this morning, friends, it works. It's a work that is deeply rooted as a strategy in the heart of God. And the reason I know that is that God sent his son to model it for us. And that's what I believe is at the heart of the leaders of this church as well, as they wrote our mission statement. 
I cannot think of a mission statement that more fully expresses a, a biblical response to the Great Commission. You may be sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, I, I could never teach. When I hear people say that to me, I think of those ten simple, untrained, insecure women who courageously, courageously stepped out and dared to think outside the box. I don't care whether you are 7 or 17 or 77. There's someone nearby into whom you can speak, into whose life you can speak, and into whose life you can invest yourself and develop a a relationship of accountability and cheer them on as you both move forward towards maturity in Christ. With maturity comes the responsibility and the ability to reproduce yourself. I want to challenge you this morning to think clearly about our church's mission statement because it's really the mission statement of the Lord of the church. I want to encourage you to take advantage of learning opportunities that this church offers. I want to encourage you to ask God to bring alongside someone with whom you can walk in this journey, someone to whom you can be accountable and who can be accountable to you. I said last night, if you can't think of anyone into whose life you can speak, why don't you ask God to bring someone alongside you? And as we move forward in the mission of the church, I believe that one day we will stand together around the throne of God. And in that crowd will be many people from the peoples of the earth who have been discipled as a result of this church taking seriously the mission of our Lord, the founder of the church. God bless us all. My benediction for you this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And I want to point out, I want to send you out into the world realizing, although you may feel insufficient for the task of fulfilling the mission of the Lord of the church, it is the power of the risen Christ within you that will enable you to do it. And I love the fact that we go conscious of the generations to come. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.